Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Everybody, it is the Steve Jones Show on a Tuesday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Well, this just in. Surprise, surprise. Michigan is not playing once again this weekend. It has canceled its game with Iowa, which was supposed to be part of the Big Ten Champions Week because of continued COVID-19 concerns there. And it just this just leads me to, and I, I think Steve probably feels a little bit differently about this, but I just never was really a fan of this, of this whole Big Ten week. First of all, I think the schedule is completely screwed up. I know they have something to do with the TV rights and all that with Fox wanting a big noon kickoff, and that's why the actual Big Ten championship game between Ohio State and Northwesterners then, and then you have everybody else throughout the rest of the day. Penn State, of course, is against Illinois at 5:30. You're on WKOK kick, uh, tailgate show at four. I just don't. I just don't think the order really makes any sense. Uh, that's just my thing. I know you want to give everybody a ninth game, and I, and I guess that's fine because the players and the coaches have obviously put in, and we've we've gone through this before with Steve, including yesterday, of the amount of sacrifice they've put in, and which is just incredible and even heart-wrenching at times, especially as we get close to the holiday season, which makes it more and more understandable of teams that are just dropping out of the bowl season if they're eligible or even if they get one. It was... So that was some, You got that one was down. Some foo- <laughs> that was some football game last night, wasn't it? But that was, too. That was my other point. That was some football game last night. Really, it was great to see competent quarterback play. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> But can I just say one thing, though? No. Can we... <laughs> Dick Girardi did that to me once. I like. I said, can I make a point now? <laughs> can we stop saying Cleveland played a good game last night? It, it, listen, it was a great game, but can we stop like thinking like, oh, Cleveland gave it a good effort. They came up just short. They still gave up 47 points last night in a game that they were favored in at home. It's a Baltimore team that's reeling. I get they can be good, and they're going to be a dangerous team now at any point. I get that. Lamar Jackson was great. But, like, enough with this. Oh, the Cleveland Browns had a good game last night. No, they didn't. They lost at home. They needed the game to stay in contention for the AFC North. Like, enough with this already. You're a hater. (laughs) I'm just laying out facts. They got got steamrolled in the run game last night. You know what the game reminded me of last night? I'm talking about from a pure entertainment point of view now. Okay, pure entertainment. All right. 
The game reminded me of the game two years ago between the Rams and the Chiefs. Absolutely. Uh, that's what the game reminded me of. In fact, the irony was, I remember I was in Cancun getting ready to do the Penn State basketball tournament in Cancun. So Jeff Tarman, Dick Girardi, and the game, remember the Rams-Chiefs game was supposed to be in Mexico. That's right. And he got moved. can't remember what the reason was he got moved. Was I it think it was, the, uh, it was the fires. Fi- what was it? No, it was the uh, field conditions there, and I think it oh, might have been the air quality, too, from the fires the that were going condi- on. The, the field conditions at Azteca Stadium, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're sitting there thinking, wow, geez, the game was supposed to be here. And... Uh, and it turned out that the game ended up being played in L.A., and that was as fun a football game to watch as I've watched in a long time. I thought last night's game was fun. You know, I mean, you know, and unlike you, I'm not sitting there hating on it. <laughs> you know, I just, I just, just enjoyed a good football game with no, with no agenda. You know, obviously you have an agenda. <laughs> It was a fun game. Just like enough with the with this giving Cleveland a pass of losing that game last night. Well, I mean, you're down. Uh, the game went back and forth. You're down two scores. You come back. Then eventually you take the lead. Then late, you lose the lead. You lose the game. So it wasn't as if they folded up. Um, I was talking about, remember when Penn State was going to play Rutgers? And I said, look, the difference between the Rutgers team I'm seeing now compared to the – and I, I, I said this on their network when they asked me about it is that when they played Michigan, for example, they didn't win the game. But Michigan returned the second kick, second half kickoff by Giles Jackson. He ran it back 97 yards for a touchdown. And I said to them, and I also said on this show, old Rutgers would have folded like a house of cards at that point. I said, nope. Instead, they took the ball and went 75 yards on their next drive, and they got the touchdown back. Late in the game, Michigan's up eight. And I said, old Rutgers would have taken the ball and in, had a four and out, and the game would have ended. New Rutgers takes the ball, drives downfield, gets a touchdown and the two-point conversion and forces overtime. Now, they lose in triple overtime. But that is the big difference between old Rutgers, new Rutgers, old Cleveland Browns, new Cleveland Browns. A old Cleveland Browns would have folded like a house of cards when they were down two scores. Old Cleveland Browns would have folded after Mayfield threw the, the pick six. Instead, they fought their way back. So the Browns have some fight in them now. They have some confidence in them right now to play. I mean, remember, the Ravens are coming off a season a year ago where they had the best record in the NFL. They are not The Ravens are not wanting for confidence. Right, the Browns are trying to build some confidence, and I thought they showed some last night in the way they came back. Uh, they didn't finish the job because their defense didn't finish the job. But I think the defense didn't finish the job in part because of what Jackson did. And I think sometimes you have to give the other guy credit for what they're doing, something that, you know, based on your hate, you're just not capable of doing. You never give the opponent any credit. I've noticed that. It's always always Carson Wentz's fault or Peterson's fault. I get no response. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I'm just laying out facts. I I just, I don't don't think. Listen, I I thought Baker Mayfield had 
took somewhat of a step in the right direction. He he had a good game minus the pick six, but that mm-hmm. that Cleveland defense, which is supposed to be good, especially that front seven, they got steamrolled last night, mm-hmm. and that's yes, concerning going forward for them. Yeah, but you're not when you're when they face Pittsburgh at the end. Remember. Ben Roethlisberger is a better thrower, but he can't run like Lamar Jackson. Jackson created a lot of that stuff on the move. True. Uh, which the problem with a quarterback that can move like that, because, I mean, Jackson is still just, he's a good thrower. He's not a great thrower. I don't care what anybody says. He's a good thrower, not a great thrower. Okay. And I think that that's, but he creates enough where he puts you in conflict once he breaks contain. That was the, the Browns' biggest mistake last night. They allowed Lamar Jackson to break contain and then create outside the pocket. How did Andrews get open? Well, Andrews got open because now the safety in the corner were both in no man's land. Now, do we come up and take Jackson? Do we let him go? Then they lost Andrews, and then they caught the ball. I mean, that's... That's what happens when a quarterback like that breaks contained that has the great mobility skill that Jackson does as he puts you in conflict and now makes you have to make the difficult decisions in real time. Do I take him or do I keep covering him? And the Browns then got mixed up. One should have taken Jackson, the other should have gotten it with Andrews, and they mixed it up and got flat-footed. Communication let them down. Yeah, and that's totally fair. It, it it was definitely one of those games where Lamar Jackson couldn't do anything wrong. And you want to put that in there? I, I, I can get that to some degree. I can buy that to some degree. But just the way Cleveland started the game with that statement opening drive mm-hmm. and then the way they came back, like you, you if you're going to be a contending team, which everybody thinks this Cleveland team is on the verge of becoming, you got to finish those games, especially against division opponents at home, and they still – have been able to do it quite yet. They're a good team. They're a playoff team. They might no be dangerous, but no, no offense. But what does at home mean this year? Well, the, true. Well, they had they had twelve thousand fans last night. But yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I mean, I don't know what home field means this year. I mean, I keep I know I've made this example how many times the Aaron Rodgers example. I mean, there's no way he goes into the Superdome and hard counts three offsides against the Saints. Oh, no question. I mean, that and that only happens because you're in a pandemic and nobody's in the building. Uh, and you know, yes, you do have to travel. Yes, you do have to put up with the restrictions in the state that you go into or the lack thereof. Oh, you know, the Browns had fans there last night. I mean, the Browns did have fans there last night. Um, that's what happens when you're nine and four; you draw people. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. I'm just getting under your skin here. Uh, just getting under your skin a little bit here. About that. Yeah, I figured that you were. Um. You know. I think you're in a good mood this week. I could kid around. Maybe because now you have your quarterback of the future. You have your own <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it, it, it does feel good this week. But let's see what happens in the desert next week. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting because, I mean, I don't have a read on the Cardinals. I thought for sure the Cardinals were slumping coming as the last game they had won was against the Bills on that great catch by DeAndre Hopkins when we had Dave Pash on the show talking about that because Dave called it on the Cardinals network. Dave, by the way, had a surreal week because they didn't travel and the game was in the Meadowlands. So he did the Cardinals-Giants game. And as he's doing the post-game show, the 49ers were getting ready to play in Glendale because that's their home right now. He said, what an odd situation. <laughs> that you're doing a Cardinals game in the Cardinals broadcast booth from a, a game that's taking place in the Meadowlands. And then in the post-game show, you're looking over and you're watching San Francisco getting ready to play a game on your field behind you. <laughs> Welcome to 2020. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. Does Lisa know how bitter you are? Yeah, she knew what she was getting herself into. I don't know. I think I'd have to talk to her about that part. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applications applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. I think it was a good time to take a commercial break because I just felt you needed to be calmed down. <laughs> no? This music will help me calm down. There you go. Perfect. It's exactly what you needed. You just needed something to just allow you to, you know, calm down. <laughs> Worry about that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Iowa, Michigan is canceled. And Indiana, Purdue is canceled. Now, three of the four schools have been having problems. Indiana and Purdue could not play last weekend because of a problem, and Michigan has not been able to play last. In fact, the last game Michigan will end up playing will be Penn State. That's the last time they played. And the uh, Iowa to its credit, has not experienced a problem. So as of right now, with this holding, because there's nobody to replace for Iowa to play right now, with this holding, that means that as of this hour, and we'll see how the week plays out, Penn State and Rutgers would be the only two schools that would play nine games. Yeah, it's been that kind of year. Now, we do concentrate so often on 
who is not playing. But I think there's a reality here, too, that isn't talked about enough. I think it's remarkable how many games actually have been played. That's how I look at it. I think it's remarkable how many games have been played. Currently in college basketball, 91% of the programs are available to be playing right now. 91%. That's that's incredible. And that means obviously 9% or not. 91% is a pretty doggone good number. It's not 100, but 91% is a pretty good number. Most of the games in the SEC have been played. Most of the games in the ACC have been played. In fact, you know, you look at Pitt and Boston College, for example, who have opted out of bowl games, but they ended up each playing 11 games. They played full seasons. They didn't miss a game. BC and Pitt did not miss a game. And in the end, I don't think Alabama's missed a game. Florida hasn't missed a game. They may have had games moved. They may have had games moved. But in the end, they did play full schedules. The SEC and the ACC will be quick to point out that they don't think Ohio State did. <laughs> Which, uh, they would not be inaccurate. They would not be inaccurate about that. Uh, Ohio State's about to play its sixth game of the season coming up against Northwestern. I believe that on that the fewest number of teams available to play in a Big Ten weekend, like available, because Iowa is is available to play, so they don't you know so they don't fall into this. I think the minimum amount has been ten. Most weekend it's for the Big Ten it's been twelve available to play. So the ability to play these games. is far more remarkable to me I think that's far more remarkable to me than anything else because look at the situation we're in we're in a situation where you know, as I tell you, everybody you know, about my job, they said, "Hey, exciting week! You got these." You know, like I've had what I did what five games in nine days. I didn't know if they were going to play any of those games over the nine days. I didn't know until the day of the game that it was okay to. All right, let's go. You, know, you prepared for it, but you just weren't sure they were going to do it. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great, great new inventory. 
And also have a fabulous selection of pre-owned inventory. And they carries the Sunbury Motors guarantee. Invaluable. Fabulous service department as well. They take care of the tough stuff. They take care of the routine stuff. They're just really good at everything. That is Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. All right. uh, Now, an interesting message, by the way, along the way from Matt, was that as much as I've tried to talk him off the ledge with the Eagles season, he has mentioned that the suit has needed to be talked off the ledge. Yeah, he was a little frustrated today about the last two losses. I appreciate how much you guys care. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. I do. Um, I, I appreciate very much how much you guys care. Not part of it is is when you're invested in the team you're broadcasting for. So I broadcast Penn State football and I broadcast Penn State basketball. Then in the summertime, I have the State College Spikes. You get so invested in doing that, in the, in the winning and losing of it, that you don't get, at least for me, I don't get as invested in, oh, how are the Giants doing? How are the Red Sox doing? I mean, I care. I mean, I do care. But not the way I used to. It's just me. Maybe I'm, you know, that'd be my fault, I guess, for for um, how we've gone about this. You know? Hey, uh, did you see our Facebook page? Uh, not recently. Clyde Whipple. Clyde Whipple sent a message to the Facebook page. And Clyde says, we are Penn State Warren Center. Right? Now, Warren Center is up in Bradford County. So I, I, you know, you know me, I never respond to these things. But I did on this. I said, wow, that's where my dad grew up, Warren Center. And Clyde Whipple, he says, my father-in-law is Russell Jones. Well, Russell Jones is my dad's cousin. And one of the absolutely great individuals ever I've ever met. Just unbelievable. My dad thought the world of him. He thought the world of my dad. When my dad passed away, Russell and his wife, Carol, went all the way to Connecticut to be there. All right? You know, I'm going, that's 16 years ago. And And Clyde just email me back that Carol, Russell's wife, turns 98 on Christmas Eve. How about that? Unbelievable. And Carol's an absolute terrific. My, my father thought the world of thought the world of them. And thus, in turn, so do we. But I thought that was just interesting on our Facebook page out of nowhere. Uh, do we have Neil ready? We do. Well, Mr. Kulong, we can interrupt family time here. You're actually part of the family. Thanks for joining us. Great to have you with us. 
It's great to be here as always. I hope you guys are uh, taking adequate preparations for whatever snownami nonsense is coming your way. I, I'm just watching a weather report now about city of Pittsburgh needing to start shoveling out now, and it's not even going to start snowing for another 12 hours. So uh, we're in full meltdown mode here. I'm not sure about you guys, but I hope all is well. Oh, we're doing fine here. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know a snow blower. We're good. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Why uh, they haven't cracked twenty points in each of the last three games? They're one and two. Why? Uh, the simple answer in my mind is your the back end of each of the last three defenses they've played has absolutely no fear of the Steelers uh, going downfield. Um, no thought to the idea of receivers running double moves on them. Uh, they have no problem running against single coverage on the outside, and the quarterback isn't going to deliver them the ball. Whether that's the quarterback's fault, whether it's the, the coordination of the offense, whether it's just what they happen to think they could do best against those three teams, they weren't doing it. And by the second half, you saw uh, the Steelers' offense, by and large, get absolutely shut down. And that, to me, is a byproduct of what uh, – how they've prepared to play each of these three teams. Uh, these are, you know, I, I think one, one low-key moment in, that, that we haven't analyzed much uh, during this stretch of games as far as the Steelers go is the fact that they are playing three good defensive teams that are very well coached. There's no question. Uh, Baltimore yep. in particular. Yep. Ron Rivera is a great defensive coach. Sean McDermott has shown himself to be a great mm-hmm. defensive coach. And these are three good teams. Yep. Um, with that said, I, I think there are only so many bullets the Steelers' offense uh, is going to be able to fire. And with that, um, if, yeah. really, if they're not able to find the deeper third of the field down the middle, uh, run seam routes, uh, if they're not able to get stuff in the alleys, uh, hitting on you know 25-yard uh, outside the number of throws, defenses are going to do exactly what we're seeing them do. Right. They may or may not have more or less success in doing it so the Steelers might not be completely shut out the way that they have been um, not literally but really just dominated for the most part uh, but that's the type of defense they're going to see and this is easily the most winnable game the Steelers have left on their schedule and it's weird to say considering they've lost two in a row um, really kind of almost blew a couple games earlier in the year as well we're starting to see that the price that they paid I think for a few of those close wins that they might have had early on in the season when these same types of issues were exposed but perhaps not in time for their opponents to make them pay for it. Uh, that that absolutely should be the, the modus operandi of, of the remaining opponents that they have. Uh, is Cincinnati good enough to do that? I don't know, but they, they absolutely should. If they can get in uh, the Steelers' receivers' faces and not let them get down the field and continue to attack uh, inside and not let them cross the way they have been all year, and tackle the catch, uh, we've seen that they're going to have some success. Uh, what is Deontay Johnson's problem? Because when he, when he catches it, he's spectacular, but he doesn't always catch it. Yeah, but, absolutely, but. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I kind of jokingly referred to this uh, this week on social media, saying if, if you were to combine the Steelers receivers with notoriously the worst hands that fans can remember. Lima Swede as well as Dante Moncrief. Oh my goodness. If you, put, if you put the two of them together, you have Deontay Johnson over a, a five-quarter stretch. Yeah. Their entire careers combined equal what he's done in a five-quarter stretch at, at whatever point over their last three games. Right. It's 
it, it's obscenely bad. I mean, you really, you know, nobody but Deontay Johnson would be getting as many opportunities as he's gotten. And a large part of the reason why he has is because of the offense that he's in. It's not one that is, is looking for an all-route kind of receiver. They're running the same stuff over and over again. And just logically, there's no reason he can't catch the ball. I right. mean, the, the second one that he dropped uh, against Buffalo – um, he caught the ball. He was bringing it in when he dropped it. So now he's finding new ways to lose possession of the ball. It doesn't make sense. Um, I, I can say this. Mike Tomlin's not going to wait long for him to, to introduce the fumbling stage of his career after he does secure the catch, uh, losing it that way. He's not going to be around a whole lot longer if it continues. He, I don't think he has another drop in him uh, simply because it, traditionally I, I don't think that we've ever seen an NFL receiver drop as many passes as he has uh, over three games. It's baffling. Um, it, it's it's not a question of technique in my mind. Um, every broadcaster and and uh, armchair analyst is going to say the same thing. He's not looking the ball in. He's he's running before he catches it. They do that all the time, and they still manage to secure the ball. Sure. Like I said, you watch the the second one. Uh, the ball is right in the triangle of his hands. He he's got it exactly where it's supposed to go. Somehow he just loses it on the transfer. It, it just sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. Um, mentally you get messed up and I, I think it's very understandable if he's in that place but the Steelers are not in a place themselves to be able to tolerate that a whole lot more um, I, I would imagine the game plan here is to not you know, try to, to get him back on the horse and, and work him up to confidence but exactly to your point uh, he's phenomenal You know, after the catch he's one of the most dangerous receivers in the game breaking mm-hmm. away yeah. from uh, defenders he's one of the best in the game you saw him put a move on, on uh, Tredavid White who's one of the best defenders in the NFL uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was a, a great release off the line. Um, he actually held on to that pass, which was nice. You really can't defend a whole lot of that. He's great off the line. He's great at the stem of his routes. He's a great receiver in a lot of ways, but you, you can't give away 13 uh, what should be completions over a three-game period. That's unheard of at, at any level. Um, it really, it, it's it's just an extremely frustrating situation. Uh, he's just going to have to block out and, and figure out a way to just hang on to the ball, even if it's just the, the five yards uh, that he gets on the completion and he's not adding his standard, you know, five, six, seven after the catch. Um, whatever he has to do just to, to secure the ball and kind of keep, you know, the, hopefully keep the chains moving down the field is going to be a huge benefit to the Steelers in, in an offense, like you pointed out, that's averaging, what, 15 and a half, 16 points a game. It's not going to get it done in what's really kind of a, a, a must-win game for them uh, against a Bengals team that you know you don't know what you're going to get with them. So it, it's a good time for a, a, a slump-breaking kind of game, um, and we'll see if he's able to do that. Which uh, brings me to the Bengals game for a moment. Uh, I don't think I would have said this a month ago, but how important it is for, is it for them to win just so they feel the the, the moment of winning again? I think. I hate to look down on an opponent. I know that certainly the way that they've played the last three weeks, they don't have the luxury of looking past anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they pull out of the crowd to to play quarterback uh, for the Bengals next week. The Steelers absolutely have to win this game for a variety of reasons. Of course, you want to win every game that you play. Uh, They need to clinch the division and put Cleveland away and make sure that that Week 17 game does not matter. Um, They need to get their mojo back. They need to be in a position where they feel like they can win games again. And in many ways, I think there were stretches of time in which they were up on the Bills, and it it would have been kind of a, a... 
a, a gradual descent, a gradual ascent into victory, but they come out uh, early in the third quarter and they, they got stopped. Um, they're a team that, that's good enough to beat anybody in the league. We've seen them uh, demonstrate that ability, uh, getting the confidence, and finally, for for the first time maybe this season, outside of that, that first Cincinnati game, put together four quality quarters of play in all three phases of the game. That would be a nice thing to have entering a, a, a very brutal stretch. Um, certainly against the Colts, that's a playoff-bound type of team. Um, Cleveland is a playoff team, whether or not they're playing for anything legitimate in Week 17, and then they're most likely going to have a, a, a game in the first round of the playoff. They're playing good teams from here on out, so this this is a key game for them uh, for a variety of reasons, one of them being just the, the mental edge that, yes, we still are a good team, uh, we have to break a losing streak before we start a winning streak, and that's what they're going to have to do. Um, it, it's tough to do that against a divisional opponent, mm-hmm. even as one that, that appears rudderless the way the Bengals do right now. Uh, they're, they're still going to have to show up and work and you know, actually catch the ball and <laughs> do the things that they need to do that are associated with winning football games. And uh, the uh, I felt like Sunday night was the first time where I looked out and said, boy, there's no Bud Dupree, and they're really handling T.J. Watt. That was the first time I really thought that. Yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that either. Um, there there was no... If you break the, the pocket down in, into thirds, uh, you really got T.J. Watt on one side, Cam Hayward in the middle, and then whoever on the other side... Um, Cam Hayward absolutely eviscerated his assignment on a, a play-by-play basis. I'm not sure he's played a better game than what we what we saw yeah, of him. Sure. Uh, you put the two-game stretch together that he's played, I don't think we've seen his career him play better than that. Uh, he has really stepped up to the fact that they need another dominant presence getting after the quarterback. Uh, Hayward was, was all over the place. Um, some of that, I think we can flip around the idea that Bud Dupree – took pressure off of T.J. Watt because, if anything, I might say uh, that added attention that a team wants to put to T.J. Watt on the other side of the line um, caved in a little bit. If you noticed, uh, with Hayward, it was really kind of a uh, – he's pushing to his right probably more than anything else. Um, you didn't see him go inside toward the center from, from where he was rushing from all that often. To me, that, that suggests the protection was rolling over to Watt. And, yeah, they, they, they held him fairly in check, but – he got their quarterback whipped a, a, a bunch of times, especially early, uh, because of the pressure that Hayward was generating. I mean, Hayward was hitting the quarterback. He was throwing Bills players into Josh Allen. Uh, he caused an interception. Yep. He, he was he was all over yeah. the place. Yes, he, he was. played well enough. He played well enough on his own that I think you know it might have been enough to win the game, if not for. Uh, the pick six that happened in the third quarter. The Steelers were, were rolling pretty well at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That said, I, I think we've really seen a, a remarkable uh, swing upward in uh, the ability of Josh Allen. I mean, ability is not even the right word. Uh, he had loads of ability. I mean, he made some throws. I mean, just even seemed mm-hmm. like he was kind of screwing around. He, he's flicking his wrist, and the ball's going 70 yards. Uh, an unbelievable uh, physical presence, and he, he's put a lot together. He's much more accurate. He's much more confident in what he's doing, and he got hot. <laughs> he's a really tough guy to stop um, when, when he's dealing the way that he was. And I think that the Steelers' defense kind of got worked a bit for about three series there, and then all of a sudden it was game over. But um, by and large, the, the absence of Dupree, um, when you don't have Hayden in there and you're already down Bush yeah. and you're down Bush's backup, mm-hmm. you've got uh, backup 
special team safeties playing linebacker for you, you're, you're going to be in a pretty tough spot. But at the same time, uh, for that first half, I mean, the Steelers' defense really should have taken a bow. That was a phenomenal No, they played great in the they, first they half. Were, yep. They were on their heads the entire time. Um, for, for as beaten up as they were, uh, they, they played a remarkable game. And even when, when Buffalo came back, this is a big-time offense. They have a lot of weapons there. They have a great quarterback. They have a, a couple very good receivers. Um, for, for, their, uh, for the effort the Steelers put forward, you had to know they were going to take one on the chin a couple times, a couple drives. Uh, and that's what we saw. You just really hope the Steelers' offense was able to get to that 27-point uh, uh, margin that they've been able to uh, oftentimes in the season. But uh, just not enough out of that. Um, a, a, a thin defense that couldn't make enough plays. They probably shouldn't have had to make that many plays to win if they're a championship-caliber team. Great quarterback. I mean, you know, you, know, you sure about that? It's, I only kid because that, that's his guy. So I'm just, yep, I'm, just exactly. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding around. Hey, Neil, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I look forward to talking next week. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Neil Coolong. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. You know, it's interesting. I, you and I asked the suit about the true meaning of Christmas. He said spiked eggnog. I don't. That doesn't match up with what he just did. I don't. And uh, just so you know, in terms of the commitment, if people have wondered, yes, I made my donation a couple of weeks ago to the to the cause. So uh, if you could join in, that'd be great. If you've been thinking about it, yeah. For for everybody that's donated so far, we can't thank you enough. For everybody that's already made your donation, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. For those of you who've been there eh, thinking about it, I'm going to get around to it. Well, try and get around to it sooner rather than later because people need the need the help. It's great. It's a great cause. Penn State uh, offensive honorees. Uh, Pat Fryermuth wins the Quala Clark Tight End of the Year Award in the Big Ten. He was first team All Big Ten by the coaches, second team by the media. Great to have it named after Ted Qualick as well. Will Fries was second team by the coaches. Mike Miranda was second team by the coaches and the media. Jahan Dotson was third team by the coaches and the media. Michael Mennett was third team by the coaches and the media. And Rasheed Walker was third team by the media. Honorable mention by the coaches. So those are the offensive award winners for Penn State. The All-Big Ten vote. And yes, I am one of the voters. And no, I'm not allowed to reveal how I voted. All right. Next hour. All right, Glenn. Mac now will be on the show. We'll get into all things good Eagles. And Ryan Snyder on recruiting last half hour here on News Radio 1070.